Good morning. Back to John 1. John 1, page 886 in the Pew Bible. This morning, we are going to be looking at verses 3 through 5 and verses 9 through 13. We're picking up the pace, finally. Just one verse the last two weeks. We've got eight verses this week. Then next week, we're going to come back and focus on John the Baptist in verses 6 through 8 and verse 15. And then that will give us verse 14 for Christmas Sunday. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Nailed it. And Merry Christmas. Because... And that's what Christmas is theoretically about, the incarnation. The word literally means enfleshed, to be made flesh. The word became flesh. This word who was with God and was God became flesh. Right? So it'll line up pretty nicely. I'm happy to talk about the incarnation on Christmas Sunday. Though, you know, I'm a bit of a Christmas Grinch. Why is that? Well, it's pretty simple. It's just not in the Bible, right? So no command to celebrate Christmas. I wanted to talk about that some here, but with the Lord's Supper, we're going to be short on time. Maybe next week um, we're going to come and look a little bit at, hey, it's, it's Advent season. Why aren't we talking about Advent? Hey, why aren't we doing some of these other things that people do? Scripture is why. Maybe we'll come back and talk about that a little bit next week. I'll, I'll let you wet your whistle and get you excited and anticipating. What's he going to say? We celebrate the incarnation, not one day a year, right, but 52 days. A year. We, we focus on Jesus, not just in certain seasons, but every season, every day of our lives. Because, as we're seeing in John, he's so good and he's so glorious. He, he's so big and beautiful because he is the Lord. Who we're going to see this morning in verse 3 is the creator of all. And the Lord, verse 4, who is life and light. So, not just this one day or these two days Every single day is about and for him because he's so big and he's so good. That's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean that Jesus is creator? What does it mean that he is life and light? Think about it. What are the first recorded words that God ever speaks? What is the first noun that God ever utters? Let there be light. Well, surely that is of some significance then. From the beginning, light is of first importance. And as we've been seeing here, as we're introducing slowly this book, John is beginning his gospel by intentionally rooting his beginning back in the beginning as he echoes and then adapts the words of Genesis 1.1. In fact, some have gone as far to argue that John 1, 1-5 is a commentary on and an exposition of Genesis 1, 1-5. Now, whether that's specifically true or not, it's clear that John is intentionally writing with the opening verses of the Bible as his background. And the opening verses of the Bible are about God, the creator, giving life to his creation. And so then here in our verses, we see that Jesus, the word, is the creator, is life. And here, four verses into the book, we come to one of the main themes of the book. In fact, one scholar argues that this is the main theme of the book. Don't forget our purpose statement, 2031, that these are written so that you may believe. Another important theme, we'll see that in our last point, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why? That by believing you may have life in his name. And life is what you are after. Life is what you are living for. And yet, we are so often, even as Christians, looking for life in so many places besides the one place the Bible tells us that life is found. 
It in, in, in only in the one who is himself light and life. I love the line, the famous line from the book of Common Prayer. In the midst of life, we are in death. Lord willing, one of the things that God is accomplishing with this pandemic is waking some of us up to the reality of our mortality. Death is all around us. And if the scriptures are correct, and they are, and if we are honest with ourselves, and we often aren't, uh, then that same death is actually within us. Apart from Christ, we are the walking dead. Apart from the Christ who is life, there is only death. And so John is writing this gospel to reveal Christ to you, to reveal to you the bigness and the beauty of this Christ. How big is he? We're going to see this morning he's the creator of everything. How beautiful is he? He is life itself. But John simply wants you to see Jesus, believe in Jesus, and live. And so let's, let's progress through this text with uh, four points. Progress through this text with four points. First, we're going to see that the Word is the creator of the world. If the Word is the creator of the world, that should impact how we live in His world, does it? Second, we're then going to see that the Word is the life and light of the world. But then third, surprisingly, the world does not know or receive the word, the very world, world created by the word rejects that word. And then fourth and finally, we'll see how the church is born and believes through the word and the will of God. Life is our theme. Are you alive? According to God's word, only if you are in Christ. Let's look at him this morning. John 1. We have five weeks before we go. We're total five weeks in the prologue. That's not too bad. We're going to read John 1, 1 through 18, those five times, because it's such an important passage. So this is time number three for you. I'm going to read for you the entirety of John 1, verses 1 through 18. We're going to focus on verses 3 through 5 and 9 through 13. Pay attention. This is what God wants to say to you today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For, him, for, from, him, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. If you would bow with me and let's begin first with, with a word of prayer. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, these are the words of eternal life. Father, your word, Jesus Christ, is life. And I pray that we would see him as such this morning. I pray that you would give us the eyes to see, that you would give us the ears to hear. Father, show us Christ. Show us how wonderful he is. Show us how he is the center of all of reality and how he is supposed to be the center of our lives. Father, we so frequently fail to live as if what we are reading in these words are, is true. So, Father, help us to see. Father, help us to believe. Help us to live as if Jesus Christ is life itself. And I pray that we would, in believing, find life in his name. Father, please help me as I seek to faithfully preach your word. Father, please help all of us as we seek to hear and to receive your word. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Father, help us now, we pray. Work um, by your spirit through your word. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, we are picking up our text in our third week in its third verse. It's pretty simple there. In verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word, verse 1, who was in the beginning with God, who was God, just in case you missed it, let me say that again. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. This word is the creator of the world. Calvin translates the logos of John 1 as the speech. I like that. Our speech is how we reveal ourselves. It is how we make ourselves known. So as we've been seeing, Jesus, the Logos, the speech of God, reveals God and makes him known. And he can only do that if he himself is God. Because of verse 18, no one has seen God. Therefore, we need the only God, the Logos, the Son of God, the one who has seen him to make him known. Jesus says similarly in Matthew eleven twenty seven. We're coming to this in Sunday school. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. All right, so, so no one knows the Father except the Son. No one has seen God except the Word. No one knows God. Thus, we need the Word, we need the Son, we need Jesus Christ to make Him known. And He can only make God known if He Himself is God. And so therefore, John declares clearly at the end of verse 1, the Word was God. But as we looked at last week, many continue to deny this pretty clear statement. Our Jehovah's Witnesses neighbors tell us, uh, or deny this truth, translating this verse as we saw the Word was a God. And we looked briefly at how they are mistaken grammatically. But as I said, you still just don't generally go to John 1.1 1, 1 when you're talking with a Jehovah's Witnesses trying to convince them of the deity of Christ. But you could go, maybe you should go to John 1.3. Why John 1.3? Well, because as Calvin says, having now affirmed that the speech is God and having asserted his eternal essence, he now proves his deity from his works. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here we are getting more information, a fuller revelation. In the beginning, the word created the heavens and the earth. And John's claim is comprehensive. All things were made through him. Again, just in case that wasn't clear enough, without him was not anything made that was made. And so this verse alone makes impossible the claim of the Jehovah's Witnesses that Jesus is a created being. 
It makes impossible uh, the claim of one of the original heretics that they unknowingly follow, this man Arius that we've been mentioning, who said there was once when he was not Jesus, there was once when Jesus was not. Arius also is reported to have said, he who was without beginning, God, made the Son a beginning of created things. And so his claim is that Jesus is made the first created thing. But it doesn't work in light of verse 3. Verse 3 is really, really important. Look at it. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So when it comes to all that exists, there are ultimately only two categories. There was anything that was made, which then also leaves only anything that was not made. That's it. The whole of reality is summed up there. Anything that was made, anything that was not made. Anything that began to exist and anything that never began to exist. And so we know that only God belongs in the second category. He is the only one who is unmade. He is the only one who doesn't begin to exist. Everything else is something that began to exist. Something that was made. And verse 3 says that all of those things, all of those somethings that were made were made through the Logos, Jesus Christ. He must then be God. He cannot be a made thing because verse 3 says that every made thing was made through him. So verse 1 affirms the deity of Christ through his identity, and then verse 3 affirms the deity of Christ through his activity. The Word is the creator of the world. God is the only creator of the world. Therefore, the Word was God. And this is affirmed in other spots in Scripture as well. Last week we read Colossians chapter 1. In verses 16 and 17 of Colossians chapter 1, we read, For by him, Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, catch this, and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I think that's one of the most profound claims in all of Scripture. Not only are all things created by him and through him, but they were all of it created for him. That's so important. We've got to get this. All things are for him. Meaning, not you. Your entire life would be changed. If you could get life right in light of the truth that your life is not about you and for you, but ultimately about him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. Therefore, you are for him. And it is in him that all things hold together. That's amazing. Jesus is the theory of everything. He, He is not only the creator of reality, but he is the sustainer of reality. It's the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1, in verses 1 through 3. They are talking about the Son of God, whom God has spoken to us through the Logos. He speaks words, Logos, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's such a neat verse. We think almost exclusively of Christ the Redeemer. But we need to add to that Christ, the Creator. And it would be difficult to overemphasize how important this point is for us today and the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. Central to the worldview that is increasingly taking over and canceling all opposition 
is the idea increasingly assumed by everyone that we find ourselves, that we thus find happiness, we find life in self-creation. Self-creation is the heart and soul of our current culture. It was all the way back in 1970 that Charles Wright sang the song which well encapsulates, uh, encapsulates the spirit of the age. Express yourself. You don't need, you don't ever need help from nobody else. All you got to do now, express yourself. We live in what the philosopher Charles Taylor has called the age of expressive individualism. This is, this is Instagram, social media, TikTok. The age of expressive individualism. Express yourself. Just be you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. You be you. We are, or we think we are, Self-creators. And we live increasingly in a culture that declares that happiness and fulfillment, in other words, that life is found in the act of self-creation. Our family loves uh, Skillman Avenue. Um, it's Anthony and Lacey live down it. It's my running route. Our girls' gymnastics class is down it. Uh, now there's the glorious free book table at the corner of Skillman and 43rd Street. If you haven't been to the free book table at Skillman and 43rd, just... Walk down there after church. I love Skillman Avenue. But the point is, I walk up and down Skillman regularly, frequently. And every time between 52nd Street and 51st Street, I cannot help but notice the salon on the right if you're walking east that says, nope, walking west, sorry. The, the sign on the salon that says, define your image. I can't help but looking and thinking about that every single time. Define that image with some new nails or a new hairstyle or whatever goes on in those places. Uh, but increasingly, what our culture is asserting is not that we can just define our image, but our very identity in that we self-create that identity. As our culture increasingly rejects all authority and increasingly departs from anything even remotely resembling any sort of Judeo-Christian ethic, in other words, anything external, it encourages that we turn internal. The world says that we are not defined by anything outside of ourselves. It is we who define ourselves. Right? It is we who create ourselves. Again, this is now the cultural air that we breathe. And parents, you need to be especially aware of this, especially if you are putting your school, your kids, into public school. Because your kids are now hearing this eight hours a day, plus however much time you allow them to use media or social media. They are being taught, it is being wired into them that only they can define themselves, that they can only find happiness as they express their true self and as they follow their heart, and that they shouldn't listen to or submit to any external authority. Parents, be very careful. Be wise. Because this is actually the very heart of sin. The first, very first lie uttered to our first parents right after they were created by God, Satan comes in and says, you can be like God. Right? Throw off all external constraints and authority. Listen to no one but yourself. No one can tell you who you are or what you should do. You do you. You be God. You self-create. Right? Sin is self-creation Self-determination, self-definition, resulting in self-deification. But as we're seeing right now in our culture, it results ultimately in self-destruction. This is why we so desperately need this truth, Christ the Creator. As the Creator, He is the King. As the Creator of all that exists, 
He clearly has an amazing amount of power. All of this, he made it. And he is sustaining all of it right now by the word of his power. The the billions of lives right now that are all existing and breathing and thinking, he is sustaining all of those things at this very moment all at the same time. We cannot even begin to comprehend the power uh, that this Jesus, the word, has. And so he clearly has the power, but then as the creator of all that, as the creator of you, he has rightful authority over all that and over you. He made you. And he made you in his image and his likeness. Doesn't he then gets to define you? He made you male or female. He gave you a body that in large part defines who you are. Biology is beautiful. Bodies are good. They tell us much about who we are and what we are for. Christ is creator. And that means that there is a power and authority external to us that we are beholden to. He defines us. We do not get to define ourselves. And this couldn't be a more controversial, unpopular statement in the culture that we find ourselves. The culture of expressive individualism, the culture that says express yourself, be yourself, and you can if you're a man, you can be a woman, you can be this, you can you can do whatever you want. Scripture says, "No. It doesn't make any sense. There's a God. And he's the authority, and he's the power. And we find life and we are defined only in relationship with him." And so we have to start off with the fact that there is a creator. And John is telling us that that creator is the word. The word is the creator of the world. Therefore, this word has rights over the world. The word rules over the world. The word defines the world. But let's keep moving because there's more and it gets even better. The word is not just Creator, He's not just king. He's not just bare power, authority. But point number two, the word is the life and the light of the world. Look at verse four. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And think again, John is writing in the context of Genesis one. We've got beginning, God's word, and then God's word says, let there be light. God first creates light and then goes on in the rest of that chapter to create life. In the beginning, we have God, we have his word, we have light, and we have life. And as we've said, beginnings determine ends. If in the beginning there is a creator and he is the creator of life, then life can only be understood and found in relation to him. In him was life. And this, again, is an affirmation of the deity of the word, of the deity of Jesus. You just keep going through the whole passage. Like This shows that he's God. This shows that he's God. Verse 4 shows that he's God. Because it is only in God that there is life. He is the God of life. Psalm 36.9 brings both these together. David says there, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So there's both of those things. Life, light, only found in God. In God is Life. Now here we see, well, in the word is life. And as I said, this is one of the themes of the book. Flip to John chapter 5. We read 6, we'll go to 6 in a second, but look at 5 for a second. Look at verse 26 of John chapter 5. We could preach just from John and never reference anywhere, so there's so much good stuff in John. I'm very excited. Verse 26, John 5. For as the Father has life... 
in himself, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself. So only God has life in himself. He is life. He has life and he gives life. That means that we do not have life in ourselves. We don't. He is the only independent, self-existing one. We are dependent. We are dependent upon him for life. We do not have life in ourselves. We must receive life from the God who is life. And as we've been seeing, that means then that life is inherently relational. If the Creator God is triune, Father, Son, Spirit, three in one, if this God is inherently relational, then the reality that He creates must be inherently relational. And if in Him is life, that means that we can have life only in relationship with Him, who is the source of life. And that's why Christ has come. The one who is life came to bring life to a dark and dead world. We don't, again, we don't have time to trace the whole theme of life throughout this book because it's there from beginning to end. But look at chapter 6 briefly, just right there with, after chapter 5. Jesus says in verse 35, pick up in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. And then notice that he says it again in verse 48. So look at 35 and look at verse 48. Repetition is always important. I am the bread of life. And so this whole discourse here is about life what it is and, and where it is found. And, and bread was a particularly apt illustration then. More so today, more so than today, back then bread literally was life. Poor Peter, you just didn't get meat uh, back then. Most people didn't have meat. You had bread. So bread literally was life. It was the staple. It was life. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm like that. I'm life. Without bread, you die. Without me, you die. With bread, you live. With me, you live. And so in verse 40, look at verse 40. Jesus says that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. In verse 46, Jesus reiterates that no one has seen the Father except him. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Skip down to verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews are confused about this. So Jesus says in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. It's all about life. And Jesus is saying very clearly that this life is found only in him. And it's found only in his words. Everyone's confused about what Jesus says there. He's using a graphic metaphor of eating and drinking him to symbolize trustful belief in him, faith in him, faith in his words. And so he says in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This has been a hard teaching. Many people turn back away and and abandon Jesus. What about the 12? No, as Peter says in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is life. 
Jesus came to bring life. Chapter 10, verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is life. And as life, he is the light of the world. That's that's what light does. Poor garden, everything's dying here, right? Why? We miss our garden. Uh, Jim and Juliet work so hard on it. There's nothing they can do about it in this season. Why? Because we're turning away from the sun. Right? We're turning away from uh, light. I guess we're tilting away uh, from the sun and from the light. Right? Because this is what light does. Light gives life. Light does many things. It reveals. Jesus is the word who reveals God. It guides. It guards. It gives life. Jesus, as the creator of the world, the one in whom is life, is therefore the life of the world. Jesus, as the sustainer of the world, is therefore the life of the word. He is the word of eternal life. He has and speaks the words of eternal life. He creates reality and he defines reality. And therefore, you will find reality and life in it only in relationship with him. Again, are we beginning to see the bigness and the beauty of this word, this logos? Okay, because what John is doing is he's driving towards verse 14. He's driving towards this word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. But he is first establishing beyond a shadow of a doubt that this word was God. This word that is infinitely big has become eminently small. That this earthly human Jesus that we are going to follow for the next year as, as he works and he, he weeps, he, he tires, he hungers, he thirsts, he, he loves, is at the same time sustaining the whole of reality. John wants you to see the bigness first so that you can then fully appreciate the smallness. He wants you to see and appreciate what Jonathan Edwards has famously called an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. Just Google that. Wonderful. That's just great writing. Admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. Go read that sermon. He's working from Revelation 5. Jesus is the lion. Jesus is the lamb. There is in Jesus infinite highness and infinite condescension. Infinite justice and infinite grace. Infinite glory and the lowest humility. Infinite majesty, transcendent meekness. And on and on and on he goes. You see, there's, there's an infinite depth and complexity and beauty in the person of Jesus Christ. And answers and understanding come with, with repeated exposure and with continual encounter. That's why I'm not that concerned about going too slowly or looking too long at this book and the Jesus of this book. Because the more we look, the more we see, the more we are exposed by the grace of God, the more we can understand. There's this scene that I really like. It's kind of the famous scene in the second book of, of the Chronicles of Narnia. Prince Caspian's the, the second book. It's the one that comes after the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Right? There's the kids, the Pivensey's kids. They go into the wardrobe. They go see Narnia. Aslan, the lion, is the Christ figure. Uh, the Pivensey children have been away from him now for a time. And so the youngest in this second book is ecstatic when she sees Aslan again for the first time. And the encounter reads like this. Aslan, said Lucy. You're bigger. He says, that is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. As you grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you will find him bigger and more 
beautiful. The more you look by the grace of God, the more you see. Listen, we are staring at and studying an infinite object, an infinite person. We can never, as finite creatures, come to the end of that infinite person. There's always more to see and always more to know. And he is always bigger and more beautiful than we can begin to imagine. We are only beginning here to scratch the surface. The Word was God. The Word was Creator. The Word is life. He is the life and light of the world. But things take a tragic turn in verse 10. Skip down to verse 9. First, we see again that the light was coming into the world. But, verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Point three, the world does not know or receive the word. Listen, this is important. Here is the great problem with the world. It's not poverty. It's not climate change. It's not racism. It's not, it's not any. All these things are problems. We need to fix these problems. Here is the great problem with the world. It does not know its creator, its savior, its life. And nothing is more revealing about the true nature of this world than its response to the coming of its creator. And so here again in the opening of this book, we come to one of the big themes of the book. We've seen the word. Next week, we'll talk. Did you notice the repetition? We're in verse 7, witness to the Lord. We see John. Why John? Witness, witness, witness. That's what we're going to look at next week. So word, then we're going to look at witness next week. Now here at the end of verse 9, we get the first use of the word world. And that's going to be a very important word. And this is going to be an important question for our understanding of this book and this use of this word world. John uses this word, cosmos, right? We we use that kind of word, cosmos is just the world. John uses this word 78 times in his book. Matthew uses it eight times. Mark and Luke, only three times each. So again, we've got something important here. John is emphasizing something important that the other gospels don't emphasize. So it's an important Word, And we'll have to take it each time as we go, because we have to read this word within its context. But D.A. Carson argues that there are no decidedly unambiguous uses of this important word world in this whole book. He says there are a handful of the 78 uses that are possibly neutral, but the vast majority of them are decidedly negative. For the most part, in John, the world is not just the earth. It's not just the universe. But it is the created order, particularly the created order of humanity, in rebellion against its creator. In John, world stands generally for humanity estranged from and hostile to God. The world outside of God. So, yes, God is the creator of the world. The the word is the creator of the world. But notice that in verse 3, I think probably intentional, I don't know, that... John does not use the word world there. Because in John, it generally means more than just creation or more than just every person ever, but the world in rebellion against God. So when you read world in John, you can generally read it as fallen world or evil world. And so we've got to consider this point in light of the previous two. Consider the absurdity of this. The Word is the creator of the world. The Word who creates that world enters into that world, and that world did not know 
its own creator. The creature resists and rejects its own creator. But it gets even worse. The word is the light and life of the world. And so in the world, not knowing the word, it ends up not knowing life and light. It ends up rejecting relationship with both its maker and with life itself because its maker is life. And this helps explain verse 9. Go back to verse 9. What does it mean that the true light gives light to everyone? Well, it simply cannot mean that every individual is actually enlightened in the sense of given life by the light. Because the very verse, next verse that we've read tells us that the world did not know him. 11, his own people did not receive him. So those who do not receive him are not enlightened. Uh, the meaning must then be about something else. It must be generally either just about the universality and the exclusivity of the light. It's for every person, every type of person. It's for the whole world. And it and it alone is the means through which any person can live. And this then is one of the other main ways that John is going to use the word world. Again, notice 10 and 11 together. He was in the world that he made. But the world, the fallen world, in rebellion against its creator, did not know him. But then verse 11, he came to his own. In other words, what does that mean? Who are his own? People actually argue about this a little bit. But I think most likely in the context is Israel. His own, this is Israel, the Old Testament people of God. And so not only did the world not know him, but even his own people did not receive him. And we're going to look at this in great detail when we get to John 3.16. We have to read this book in its first century Jewish context. We have to read world in John 3.16 that way and everyone in John 1.9 that way. Again, look at 1.9 again. The King James, if you have the King James, is more helpful. The ESV sometimes gets a little uncomfortable with gendered pronouns at times. I don't like that. Uh, The Greek literally says, as the King James translates it, every man, pas, all, anthropon. Man, he gives light not to every man without exception, I think the verse is saying, but every man without distinction. In other words, one of the things that we're going to see frequently in John, one of the major issues in the early church that they were trying to figure out, that Jesus comes and gives light not only to the Jews, but to all peoples. It is in this sense that God loves uh, the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world and the light that gives light to everyone. Not just this one people, not just the Jews, but the whole world. To people from all peoples. God is creating for himself, as we've seen in Revelation, a people uh, which does not consist of every single person who has ever lived. Uh, Again, the very next verse denies that idea. But God is creating himself a people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so most simply, in light of the verses that follow, I think John is just saying that the light that comes into the world shines on every man. And what is one of the things that light does? It reveals, and in revealing it, it distinguishes and it divides. Right? The light reveals distinctions. The light has shone on all men, and all men will respond to the light either one of two ways. Either unbelief or belief. Either rejection or reception. The main idea, the world does not know its own maker. And the world did not know him, not because he was a stranger, but because it was estranged from him. John doesn't specifically tell us why yet. We know why. He's giving us hints. We skipped verse 5. Look back up at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And there's why the world doesn't know him who is light. Because the world is darkness. John is a very black and white thinker. He loves binary. Binary is beautiful. It's light or it's darkness. It's death or it's life. There is no gray. There is no middle ground in John. What does John mean by darkness there? Well, in his gospel, it's basically synonymous with the world. He means fallen mankind darkened by sin, evil, and unbelief. The darkness of verse 5 is synonymous with the world of verse 10. Darkness is that which is against and antagonistic to light. Jesus is light. Darkness is then that which is opposed to Jesus. Jesus is life. Darkness is then that which is opposed to life. Darkness then is evil and death. The world is darkness. Again, this is the problem with the world. It doesn't know its own creator. Well, look over at chapter 3. We pay so much attention to verse 16 of chapter 3, again, which we should, but we also often frequently miss much of what is around chapter, uh, verse 16. Verse 16 is wonderful, but it's wonderful in context. Don't miss the context. We emphasize verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's wonderful. That sounds nice. But why not? Why did God not send his son into the world to condemn the world? Verse 18 <laughs> Because the world was condemned already. Why? Look at verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. See, the world did not know him quite simply because the world is evil. And darkness hates the light. And don't miss. It says there in that verse that we just read, darkness hates the light. Don't miss that in chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus is the light of men. The world hates Jesus because the world is evil and because light exposes evil. Don't shine a light under our couch. We don't want you to see what is under there. Right? Light reveals the dirt and the gross and the neglect and the bad things. The world is evil. So Jesus reveals not just God, but also, in revealing the perfect holiness and goodness of God, he at the same time reveals the pervasive wickedness and evil of the world. And the world does not like that. None of us like having our evil exposed. Evil does not like being exposed. Darkness does not like light. Well, what does it mean then at the end of verse 5 when it says, the darkness has not overcome it? Back to John 1, verse 5. What does that mean? That's a good question. Uh, most modern translations translated that word, that word overcome, but if you've got the King James or the NASB, you'll see that it translates that Greek word as comprehend. The darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, the word could be translated either way, so I'm not going to quibble, but I lean towards comprehend in light of the context. Verse 5, the darkness did not comprehend. Verse 10, the world which is darkness did not know him. Verse uh, 11, his own in rejecting him are also in darkness did not receive him. So didn't comprehend, uh, didn't uh, receive, didn't know. I think the darkness not comprehending seems to be a better fit with the main idea that the world, though created by the word, did not comprehend him or know him or receive him. Either way, the darkness isn't going to overcome uh, the light also. We know that as well. It's true. So maybe both ideas are somewhat contained in that. But the maker of the world has come. 
And the world has revealed its true nature in its rejection of its maker, who is life and light. Therefore, the world is darkness, the world is evil, the world is death. Church, we've got to start seeing the world as the word sees the world. This will be very important for next week. Right? Next week is witness. Why witness? Because everyone is dying. Because apart from Christ, everyone dies eternally. That's why witness. And witness doesn't make any sense if the world is not death and darkness. John is a witness about the life because the world is death. And so this means basic brief application. First of all, we have to speak of these things. That's what we're going to look at next week. But also maybe more specifically for you and your uh, time and your use of time and what you do and what you love and what you look at. Listen, we cannot let the world, this world's According to this text, we cannot let the world's priorities dictate our priorities. We cannot let the world's passions dictate our passions. Because what we're seeing is that fundamentally, this world is defined by its opposition to its creator. Fundamentally, it is defined by darkness and death. We cannot then love what the world directs us to love. We cannot love the world because the world hates God. It hates its creator, its life and light. We've got to look at the world in the way that the word does. The word is separated from its maker. And if we left it there, things would seem very dark. Um, But briefly and quickly, point number four, the church is born and believes through the word and will of God. Uh, We'll come back to this because we are short on time. But we will also be coming back to this again and again and again throughout this series because this is the purpose of the book. John writes to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Word, the Creator, life, and that then by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And life in this world created by the triune God who is eternal relationship will also then be relationship. Here's the goal, that we might become children of God. And John never calls us sons of God, ever. And John, only Jesus, is the Son of God. But it is in him, and it is through him, through the Son, that we can become children of God. How? Well, it's there in the text. It's, it's belief. It's receiving him. Receiving him is believing him. Believing in his name. Verse 12. Who will receive him? Who will b- receive him and believe in him? Look at verse 13. Those who are born. Born again. Reborn. How? This will be chapter 3. It's not of blood. In other words, it's not by physical birth, nor of the will of the flesh. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We read John 6, 63. The flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit who gives life. Nor is it the will of man. John could not be more clear. It is not the will of man, but it is the will of God. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Previous chapter, Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That's verse 13. That we might become children of God according to the purpose of his will. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his doing, his work according to his will. You must be born again. And that is possible only by a gracious work of God. 
And that is what God is doing. That is why light has broken into the darkness. That is why the sun has come, so that we might become children of God. And John hasn't yet told us how this word is going to do it. He will, but we know the answer. Jesus, word, God, creator, life, and light has become one of us to live for us and then to die for us. He has come as one of us to take our place, take our sin, and take our death so that we may be rescued and redeemed out of the darkness and brought into his marvelous light. This is in part what is so amazing about the gospel. Here's why these verses are so important. Our creator has become our redeemer. That's amazing. He doesn't just redeem us. He doesn't just make us. He is our maker who then also is our savior. And it's all the gracious work of God through his glorious son who is God and who is life. Life is found only in him and in relationship with him. And in this dark and dying world that has set itself in opposition to him, life is no longer a natural possession. We are not born alive. We are born dead. Life is now a divine gift. We are born without life, and our only hope is to receive that life by his grace through faith in his son who is life. And that is what God is doing. And this is the point of your life. You do not get to define your life. He does. You are not for you, but for him. You will not find life in you. The whole world is telling you to turn in. Oh, church, I've tried to turn in. There's nothing good in there. Turn out. The gospel turns us out and turns us to him, our maker, our savior, our lover, and our Lord. You will only find life outside of yourself in the one who is life. Don't look within. Uh, Look without. Look to the son who is life. And so the question is not, do you have a relationship with God? The question is, what is the nature of that relationship? We are all born into the world in some sort of relationship with God. But is that a positive or a negative one? Will the result of that relationship be judgment um, because you have rejected uh, your maker? Or will it be joy because you have repented and believed and received the word who is life? We are all in some sort of relationship with God. One results in death and only one results in life. The world did not know him or receive him. what, What about you? Have you received him? Have you believed him? Have you found life in his name? Is that life shining in any way? Remember, life and light are paralleled here. Light shines. Obviously, you can see light. Is this life that you claim to have in Christ manifesting itself in any way? Is there anything revealing the existence of that life in your life and in how you live? Ask yourself, who are you truly living for? Are you defined by sinful self-creation or submissive Christ creation? Who do you truly love? Yourself or your creator? Do you really love the God who is love and life itself? And what John is trying to do with this wonderful book is to show us and point us to the only one in whom you will find those things. You are looking for life. Every moment of every day you are living and you are choosing and you are doing based upon what you think will bring you the most happiness and the most joy. But we so frequently, because of our sin, because of this darkness that lingers within us, we so frequently look in the wrong place. I so frequently look in the wrong place. John is screaming at us saying, look here, look here. This one is life. Stop trying to find life in other places, in yourself 
and in who you are, in creating your own identity, in your work, in sex, in pleasure, in porn, in money, in Netflix, in entertainment, in social media, whatever those things that you look to, that you're thinking about, that bring you pleasure and joy and happiness, John's saying, none of it. Christ is where you will find life. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's life. Children of the one who is life. And that comes only by grace through faith in the Son of God, the Word made flesh. If you would bow with me, let's, let's close this time uh, with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we need you. Uh, every hour, every second, Father, we need you. Forgive us for our sinful tendency to live as if we were self-sufficient, to live as if we were self-creators, self-determiners. Father, forgive us for how quick we turn and focus on ourselves. Father, please turn us outward. Uh, turn us to you. Turn us to the word uh, who is light and life. Father, I pray that um, for all of us in here who by your grace have been born again and who are uh, your children only by the work of Christ in our place, Father, forgive us for how quickly we forget the infinite and eternal privilege that it is to be children of God. And how quickly we forget the responsibility that comes with being made your children. And Father, we are yours. Uh, we were made for you to bring you glory. And Father, but it's in bringing you glory that we find much good and joy and delight. So forgive us for how little we actually live in light of these truths. Father, help us. I pray that you would use John, use this series, use these words to capture our hearts and our affections and show us that Christ is better than all the other things that we're so tempted to look for and, and live for. Father, please help us. And for anyone in here who does not know uh, this Jesus, Father, who, do, who does not have life, who right now is in darkness and is dead, Father, please work through these words. Father, show them the futility of their life focused on themselves, the futility of any attempt at uh, self-creation or self-definition or of finding life in themselves. Father, I pray that you would use this pandemic, I pray that you would use just the depravity of our culture to show many that there is nothing but death found apart from you. And then, Father, turn many to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your word would bear fruit um, through the ministry of this church, um, through the corporate preaching, uh, teaching ministry of the church, but individually, Father, as we um, speak and as we share and as we seek to love those around us. Um, Father, we ask um, and pray that you would um, bear fruit um, through these words. Um, Father, help us to delight in Jesus more than anything else. We thank you for the life that we have in his name. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.